Welcome back to uh, another edition of the Boilers Extra podcast. Uh, Nathan Baird on vacation uh, this week, well-deserved after covering uh, Purdue men's basketball uh, throughout the whole season, and then the Big Ten tournament, and then the the run to the Elite Eight uh, for the Boilermakers, uh, which ended in Louisville, and probably, uh, as most people feel, should have been playing in the Final Four as that ball was rolling down the, the middle of the court. Uh, against Virginia, but uh, uh, the Cavaliers made a play. So Nathan will be back next week, and we'll have another topic for you uh, centered around Purdue sports. But uh, today we are uh, pleased uh, to welcome uh, uh, Steve Berkowitz. He is uh, the guru, as I like to call him, of uh, the USA Today coaching salary database and athletic department uh, 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 database, uh, football men's basketball coaches. Uh, Steve has done a great job. Uh, He's an industry leader in coaching contracts and looking at the finances of athletic departments and just bringing a lot more transparency uh, to to what colleges are doing and how they're spending their money and how they're, um, you know, pushing their money around and keeping track of coaches' bonuses and and all those kinds of things that just I think it's really over the over the last decade or so has really uh, de- developed into um, a must read, especially on the USA Today website. And I'm not just saying that because you know we're part of the same company. It's just that's the that's the way it has uh, has become. But uh, Steve's going to join us on the phone today. We're going to go through Jeff Brown's contract, get his thoughts on what uh, Purdue did to reward uh, its football coach, and uh, just kind of. Uh, get Steve's thoughts on uh, where this contract stacks up in the Big Ten and nationally. So, but first of all, Steve, thanks for joining me today. Uh, uh, thanks for taking time out of your day to to be on our podcast. Yeah, happy to do it. Thanks a lot for the kind words about all the work. <laughs> now you've been, uh, you know, you told me beforehand you've been with the paper since 2000. You've you've done this since 2006, and I really do believe it's it's really up the level of uh, of transparency in college athletics. But all right, so. Steve, you've had a chance to digest Jeff's contract uh, over the last few days after it came out on Friday. We had some conversations last week just trying to dissect uh, what, what actually was there. But just kind of what was your overview, overview thought of, of what Purdue did for Brom and kind of what's in the, uh, in the details of, of, of his new deal? Well, it's certainly a, you know, it's a really, really competitive contract within the, you know, within the construct of the Big Ten. Um, it's a pretty competitive contract nationally as well, and obviously this had, this had to do with Purdue wanting to uh, hang on to him and keep him from uh, keep him from leaving and going back to Louisville, which I'm sure was a you know potentially really attractive setup for Brom, not only in terms of the finances, but in terms of some of the intangible stuff in his life and his background that I'm sure all of your all of listeners to this are well aware of. So. You know, I think Purdue was was put in a position of having to come up with something to be to be competitive with Louisville. They had to come up with something that was, at least by Purdue standards, historically was pretty extraordinary, uh, which it is, and which they did come up with. To me, the the one thing that really st- uh, stuck out to me, and uh, you know, I know that it happens in contracts uh, in college athletics, but the signing bonus kind of caught my eye initially. Kind of heard about it leading up to it, but then. You, you see it on paper. It's like Purdue's committing you know, $1.7 million, and it's fully guaranteed um, out, of, out of the gate with this, with this signing bonus. How, 
are, are signing bonuses more common nowadays or are they getting or is this something maybe a little unique that that's that's out there right now um they're not terribly common but i mean again this is a way to try to uh you know one one piece of the strategy here is that this also sort of helps uh you know boost what Brom had been getting in the first two years uh, of the contract as well. So there's a little bit of reach back uh, for it, you know, as well. Um, but you know, there could be a lot of different things going on within Purdue's finances about why this made sense for them to do it this way. Uh, it could have been having to do with a bubble of money that, that they had available uh, to them. There could have been a lot of different things going on for them to sort of front load the contract um, in the way they're doing it. Um, and the way that Purdue set up the payment plan for it, um, it equalizes uh, the value of the contract a little bit uh, over time. Um, it's not as pronounced, uh, depending on how you how you view it. If it's 1.7 million up front, as opposed to the way Purdue is actually paying this money, uh, where they're paying 850 thousand uh, dollars on or before May 31 of 2019, and then 850 thousand dollars more on or before January 31 of 2020, which puts this money into two separate fiscal years uh, from Purdue's budgeting perspective. So um, that helps sort of level out the overall uh, payouts annually to the coach over time. So, you know, there are a number of different things that are going on here, but that's a, that is a really large signing bonus. Uh, there's no two ways about it. Um, and it's comparable uh, in a way to what schools do when they have to pay the buyout uh, for a coach who they want to hire. Uh, that coach owes money to the school where he had been working in order to leave. Uh, the hiring school pays those pays those amounts. And so there are a number of different ways that schools uh, deal with those amounts in terms of whether or not they're uh, counted as expenses or taxable income to the coach or whatever. But those all, in a way, those are essentially signing bonuses. So if you view uh, a hiring school paying uh, a coach's buyout to his prior employer as a signing bonus, then signing bonuses occur all the time. Um, so it just sort of depends on how you view those kinds of payments. So, you know, in, in doing this with Brom, Purdue may have also been going, well, you know, what's it going to cost us if we want to hire another coach if he goes to Louisville? So, I mean, there, there are a lot of things that, have, that, were, that were, I'm sure, that were at play for Purdue for this. Yeah, and let's, because um, when, we, when we talked last Friday when the contract came out, you initially looked at it and said the value of the contract is different from when, you know, what he's going to get paid. But you saw the value uh, of the contract in this first year at $6.6 million. And it, it kind of walk walk people through how you arrived at that number and why you thought that was, uh, you know, an important figure uh, for, for this deal. Sure. If you look at, uh, if you look at this through, the way we do our annual survey every year, we look at the coaches' uh, pay for the contract year, uh, the current contract year that the coach is, is working in. Um, and there are payments that uh, that are sort of amortized, and there are types of payments that are involving one-time payments. And in this instance, the way that we will likely view this, the basic stuff is that Brom's base salary is 300000 He gets a supplemental payment as consideration for his participation in radio and television shows and endorsement arrangements and things like that. And that's $3.9 million, so that's Altogether, that's 4.2 million. Uh, 
Um, the school agreed to pay him a $300,000 retention payment for having been the head coach of the program through January 1 of 2019. So that's essentially a retroactive payment, which for all intents and purposes is a signing bonus because this is being, I mean, I'm sure this is being negotiated uh, prior to January 1 and some of these terms were put on paper before then, but that's essentially a signing bonus because Jeff Brom was going to be the head coach on January 1 of 2019, pretty much coming or going. So that takes you up to uh, uh, $4.5 million. Um, the, uh, the school also agreed to pay Brom another retention payment if he remains employed by the school through December 31 of 2019, which is to say he would complete his 2019 contract year. And a contract year for Jeff Brom follows a calendar year. It's not a fiscal year. It runs January 1 through December 31. So assuming that he gets to December 31 of 2019 as the head coach, he'll get another $400,000. And so um, when you add up all of those components together, you're now up to $4.9 million. And that brings us to the signing bonus. So the signing bonus, according to the contract, is fully guaranteed on the date that the coach signs the agreement. Um, and the agreement then says that the bonus will be paid by Purdue in two equal installments of $850,000. The first of those payments will occur before May 31st, 2019. That's during that, that co the, coach's, the coach's 2019 uh, contract year. And the second of those payments will be made to the coach on or before January 31 of 2020. And the way we view things methodologically, we take a look at what the coach is essentially accruing or is vesting in uh, in the given contract year. So in the 2019 contract year, Purdue is guaranteeing that the coach will be paid $1.7 million as this signing bonus. So the way we look at it is that you add all those elements together and you get the $6.6 .6 million. So Purdue will have to pay him that money regardless of, of what happens. Um, and you know, I guess unless he's terminated for cause, in which I suppose there's a possibility there would be uh, uh, some discussion over whether or not they would make the second payment, um, but otherwise the money is guaranteed, and it's being guaranteed to him this year, even though the money isn't being paid out until another year. So that's the reason why when you look at the value of it for the 2019 contract year, you add everything together and it becomes $6.6 million. So just to be clear, like when when you when uh, when you guys put together your database for whether it's coming out this spring or this summer, you're going to list Brahms' uh, figure for 2019 as six point six million dollars, correct? Yes, barring some other barring something that uh, unforeseen or in how Purdue explains this to us, which I always leave open the possibility <laughs> for, uh, we will in all likelihood count the one point seven million as part of his compensation for the 2019 contract year. Um, and we will, you know, uh, add a note explaining how we're getting at that number. And we have lots of footnotes and explanations for a variety of payments uh, that coaches get. So generally we publish this information uh, in October. Um, so the October, you know, because we're publishing in October, we would have to note that $400,000 is based on the presumption that the coach will be the coach on December 31 and get the 
retention payment of 400000 plus we would uh, note any unusual one-time payments anyway. So if a number is a uh, unusual number, we would provide a note to that effect so that readers uh, in our database can uh, click on a hyperlink uh, with the number that, as it appears in our database, and it will pop up uh, an explanation of why that number is unusually high or unusually, unusually low. Right, and just, uh, just so our readers are clear, and if they've read uh, my reporting on it, we're not using the $6.6 million for 2019. Uh, we've decided to report it. Um, it's going to be $5.35 million because we're, we're basing it on what he's going to get paid in the calendar year of 2000, 2019, and that therefore that's why there's going to be a difference there. It, it, either one is not wrong. Neither one, I mean, it's just... Uh, you know, Steve's group does it one way, and we've decided to go another way on that. And in the end, Jeff Brown's going to get his $1.7 million one way or the other. It just It's just a matter of how it gets kind of reported out there. But I wanted to let people know that this is coming. So when they see that big number, you know, sometime in the fall, hopefully they don't freak out and start thinking, well, Jeff Brown's making $6.6 million dollars this year. So thank you for the explanation on that. And I wanted to give you a, an opportunity to kind of to, to explain the methodology behind how you guys do things. Cause you're not only dealing with Jeff Brown's contract, you're dealing with all the other contracts that come, come your way from, uh, from, from the division one level. Um, have you seen, uh, moving on from the signing bonus, have you seen this many retention bonuses in a contract before? Yeah, that's a pretty, <laughs> that's not an unusual thing. I mean, James Franklin, uh, among other coaches, gets this kind of a retention payment every year, uh, or you know, is scheduled to get this retention payment every year. Uh, Jim Harbaugh uh, has a piece of his contract that also requires him to get to a certain date every year uh, to, to trigger out money. So those kinds of annualized retention payments are not unusual at all in coaches' contracts. And neither are situations where there are also situations where coaches, uh, the school agrees to pay a coach say $500,000 for completing a particular five-year period of the contract, and the money isn't actually paid until five years down the road, but the coach is accruing or vesting in uh, one-fifth of that amount on a given date every year, so that if the coach is fired uh, without cause uh, later in the year uh, or later in the contract, he still gets that money, which is the reason why we count that money in that given year. So uh, you know, there are a variety of different ways where these sort of uh, retention incentives are built into coaches' contracts. So you know, you've been doing this since 2006 with football coaches, but just how have contracts changed um, kind of in the broad sense, or have they changed uh, other than the dollar amounts, obviously, but kind of what, what have been the changes over the last decade or so and how you – and how you you look at these contracts now? Wow, I mean that's a uh, how much time do you have? I mean there's there's been there's been uh, a lot of stuff that's changed over time. Uh, you know, I mean there for example there's now very you know in a, in a not in a non-dollar related uh, circumstance there's been uh, a greater level of precision built into a lot of contracts concerning the requirements uh, that coaches have among their specific uh, duties in their job. Um, and, you know, in, in a, if you drill 
uh, even further into it now, there are now in many coaches' contracts very specific requirements concerning their uh, responsibility to report sexual harassment mm-hmm. or uh, other you know or uh, other kinds of activity that uh, or allegations of activity that could potentially cause the school a problem, uh, either in its uh, sexual assault reporting or uh, Title IX related issues and so forth. So there are now very highly specified reporting requirements uh, in the contracts of many coaches that make very specific about what their role is in the university's administrative process about this. Um, contracts have gotten, you know, again, there, there are a variety of different ways now that coaches uh, get uh, get paid. Uh, there's, you know, amounts that are, that are portioned out differently. They're not just base salary anymore. They're uh, parceled out into different forms of consideration for different types of activities like endorsements and television appearances and so forth. Um, and, you know, so, you know, the, the dollar amounts obviously are the biggest change because of how much, you know, how much the, the contracts have, have grown. Um, and, you know, Purdue is a pretty good, uh, you know, Purdue obviously is a very a clear example of how that's worked, uh, you know, in terms of how much more money uh, is being paid. And the more money that gets built into the contracts, uh, sometimes the more sophisticated uh, and detailed the contract provisions get in terms of what happens if the coach gets fired for not winning enough games and how money is paid out and the coach's obligations to get another job and, uh, you know, a variety of other things that have become increasingly uh, important and contentious for schools uh, because of the amounts of money that are involved in these deals. Yeah, let's uh, let's continue on that because um, I, I've seen it and people around here have seen it and obviously you've noticed it too, but, you know, 2012, Purdue wasn't paying its football coach a million dollars. It was the only school in the Big Ten that, that wasn't doing that. And now we're in the five to six million dollar range, not that far removed from 2012. I know it's, it's seven years, but that to me, that's not a, a long time. But just how do you, how have you viewed Purdue and how they've invested in, in, in the head coach, but also coaching staff in general, but just this quick climb from basically where they were not in the game from a financial standpoint to, you know, dare I, they're not a leader right now, but they're, they, they've moved up into the upper half of the Big Ten from a, from a, a football coach's salary standpoint. Right. Well, for the next two years, <laughs> you know, again, barring developments elsewhere around the conference, they're going to be, he's, he's going to be either the second or third highest paid coach, depending on uh, how you view it and what else happens around them. So Purdue has gone from being toward the bottom of the table uh, among all Big Ten schools to up near the top. And so, I mean, that's a, you know, a big evolution uh, for the university. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, some of this has been driven by the uh, huge increase in television revenue that the Big Ten schools are getting through uh, the success of the Big Ten network and through renegotiations of their of the conferences deals with uh, ESPN and with Fox, and uh, you know, it, it's it, those have made a big have made a big difference for schools. I mean, Big Ten schools are now getting uh, revenue sharing. Uh, checks from the Big Ten every year, uh, at least the established schools, not counting Maryland and Rutgers, which are more recent additions to the league. Um, but the schools are now getting a little over $50 million a year uh, from the Big Ten. And so, 
you know, that influx of revenue has enabled schools to do some, some things that they haven't done or hadn't been doing in the past relative to compensating coaches and doing a variety of other things. I mean, some of them are facilities related. Uh, obviously, there has been the introduction of the cost of attendance-based uh, scholarships for uh, for the athletes. And so there are a variety of different things that have been, that have been going on here uh, that have been driven you know, in part, in large part, by those big upticks in revenue from the conference. I, I guess just from from your standpoint, and this, you know, you might you put you'd be guessing probably a little bit, but just the fact that Purdue is paying this large number, what kind of reverberations does that have across the country? And I mean, are people do will people take notice of what Purdue is paying? Absolutely. Oh no, no, just not just not a single doubt mm-hmm. about it. I mean, coaches. You know, agents and lawyers who represent coaches will use this to benchmark uh, what their what their clients, you know, uh, ought to be paid or what the market looks like. Uh, you base it on, okay, well, here's what, uh, you know, here's what Jeff Brom has done in terms of performance for Purdue, and here's the kind of impact that he's had, and this is what my guy has, has done, you know, for your school, and, you know, this is what the market Talk, you know, this is what the market is, and, and athletics directors and uh, college presidents talk about this being a market-based arrangement. This is how the market gets set: is when you know people move, you know, move higher and higher. That helps drive the market. Now, in many instances, uh, there are you know schools can come up with a specific reason why they felt the need uh, to do this, or why they felt comfortable doing it for this guy, and they wouldn't have felt comfortable doing it for that guy. Um, in Purdue's case. You know, they would say, "Well, you know, Jeff Brom, we were we were competing uh, with a very unusual offer uh, for Jeff Brom." Uh, just the same way Michigan would say, "Why, you know, when they hired uh, Jim Harbaugh and they're paying him seven and now seven and a half million dollars a year, they're saying, "Well, you know, we were hiring a guy who had made a Super Bowl appearance in the pros, and he's a Michigan guy all the way." And there's different, you know, and that's a different kind of situation for us. And so, I mean, you know, different schools have different reasons for doing what they do. Um, but yes, in, in the in the grand scheme, you know, every time uh, a coach's contract goes higher, it you know has a tendency to, to pull the rest of the rest of the schools or pull the rest of the market higher along with it. Yeah, it's just amazing to me that. You know, I don't want to say Purdue is setting the marketplace, but it's a, it's it's just still strange to me that they would be leaders in this area when for so long they were lagging behind for a variety of reasons. But it's just it's still it's still kind of hard to digest a little bit that Purdue could be a leader, and you know, it, and as you mentioned, a lot of factors you know go go into this. But as far as you know, rankings are concerned, and we are a nation that is consumed kind of with rankings, you know, who's number one, who's number two, who's got the best burger, who's got the best tenderloin type of thing. And, I mean, there's an outside chance that if, you know, Michigan makes a coaching change and Penn State, Franklin moves on or something, Jeff Brom could be the highest paid coach in the Big Ten in 2020. Uh, it's not out of the question, depending on what, depending on, on what certain guys do. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, 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 yes, that's that's that is a that is a possibility. Yes, I just wanted to throw that out there just for people to digest because they've been at the bottom and now it potentially uh, could be at be at the top. But I, uh, Steve, I wanted to get you know, how did you get involved? In doing this, I mean, I know you started as an editor at USA Today in 2000, but how did you evolve into this position, and how did 
you know, how did uh, how did the paper view this when it first started out? I mean, obviously it was it was something they wanted to report on, but kind of talk about those early days, how you got involved in it, and then kind of where it is today. Sure. Uh, actually, and so back going back to 2006 when we did this for the first time with football coaches. I mean, we you know we were you know obviously we were we we knew that coaches were making a lot of money, and we sort of decided that you know we wanted to try to take a shot at, at actually quantifying that. And also, it was roughly 20 years earlier that Steve Weberg, who is a longtime college sports reporter here uh, at USA Today, who is not with the paper any longer, um, Steve uh, about 20 years 20 years prior had done a similar thing where he had used uh, open records requests to get like to get the contracts for coaches and he had done a similar uh, you know pay survey for coaches and we wanted to you know sort of uh, see what things look like in comparison to what had been going on 20 years earlier um, and you know people I think sort of had a pretty clear idea Back in 06, the coaches were making a lot of money, but when we, you know, really quantified it and, uh, you know, made it objective and uh, provable and we published all those numbers, uh, there was a lot of reader interest in it. Um, and sort of so the next question we were asked was, well, when are you going to do this for basketball coaches? And so we ended up doing a form of it for the following year for, for, that, for that same school year uh, for uh, based on teams that were in the NCAA basketball tournament. Um, and then we decided, you know, the following year just to see from over one year uh, how things had changed for football coaches. And um, so we did a year-over-year thing. And, you know, again, we were pretty surprised at the percentage increase that was taking place across uh, college football. And, um, you know, it sort of it was kind of went from there. We skipped a year and then people were wondering where the inform you know what had happened to the information so we brought it back and started also doing it for assistant coaches um in 2009 and we've just been doing it ever since so we didn't really set out to do we didn't set out in 2006 to say hey we're going to do this survey and yeah we're going to do that we, we went into it with the idea that we would do this every year uh, ever more uh but it just sort of evolved that way and it's uh, we've tried to add some things to it and uh, refine the methodology and do some other things. So we're now, you know, we've been tracking for his football assistant coaches and for football strength coaches. And uh, we've occasionally, we've done a couple of surveys of athletics director compensation uh, in addition to doing an annual compilation of all of the school's uh, revenues and expenses using a document that all the schools have to file with the NCAA. Uh, and so again, for public schools, that becomes a record that's acquirable through open records requests. Yeah, it's it's a I mean, the process has to. I mean, when you when you say that it's going to get published in October, I assume the next day you're already look already looking ahead the next year and trying to to because you you have to well, you have to make these start requests. To look at basketball, but yeah, yeah we'll start. <laughs> but the process of asking of asking for for contracts is sort of now an ongoing year round thing because we try to collect them as coaches as you know as coaches deals get put together as was the case with Brahms deal here in the spring but we'll make a full you know full on uh, set of records requests to the schools uh, probably in late you know in late May uh, and that's when we need to start in order to be able to get it all put together in October. All right. I hope you have some help. Yes, we have. Uh, yes, I work 
it's, it's more than a one man by foot way more than a one man show for sure um, but I, I got one other question back to Jeff's contract. It's just, were you surprised the buyout didn't change based on now the, the new value of the deal? Well, the, the, the terms of the buyout haven't changed. The yeah. amount of money that's involved in the buyout has changed uh, because the amount of money that's in the contract uh, has changed. Uh, so there, there's a little bit of change. In, I mean, there's a, there's a little bit of a change in the terms uh, for the uh, for the buyout, uh, previously they were working against it, it, the, the buyout was a, was a sort of a complicated uh, sort of formula working against a, a fixed number, and then it would decrease every year a little bit. And now, basically, what Purdue is doing in a uh, much more straightforward way is simply saying that uh, if Brom is fired for not winning enough games, that is, is fired without cause, uh, Purdue will be obligated to pay him all of his base salary and all of his supplemental pay uh, for the remain that remains on the contract. Now he'll have to be he'll be obligated to find another job, and the income that he gets from that other job will offset what Purdue owes him. Uh, and the school is not uh, will not be obligated to pay him uh, the retention bonuses that are uh, built into the contract, but the uh, current value of the buyout, uh, if, if the school were to uh, fire uh, Brom after this year, which is highly, highly unlikely, is higher than it was uh, last season because the contract is a year long, you know, is now is now a year longer and there's a lot more money involved. Right. But I was more talking about what Jeff would owe them as a, if he would leave, um, if he would leave for another job. Uh, that, oh, yes, that, that's right. That's true. That has not changed, right? That's a fixed, right? That's a fixed amount uh, that was in that was not uh, uh, changed by uh, the new the new uh, amendment to his contract that set up all these other terms. And, and you know what happens? You know, again, this becomes a negotiation, and coaches who have you know leverage in contract negotiations obviously want uh, the buyout that they would owe the school to be as manageable as possible. Uh, you know, within reason, um, and uh, you know, the, the, and the school wants <laughs> the school wants to protect itself as best as it can, and these things get negotiated. So, you know, the longer a coach has been at a school, the more likely he is able to get uh, more favorable terms uh, for what he would owe for leaving. Um, or if the school is is in a situation where they are doing something to try to help keep coach keep a coach. Uh, you know, they may say, okay, well, we, you know, we can't pay you all that you want. So instead, hey, let's make it so that you would owe a little less if you leave. So it gives the coach greater flexibility to move uh, if, you know, if, if another job comes along. So, um, you know, again, a lot, of, a lot of these things, you know, are, are, are product of leverage and who has it. Yeah, I remember um, several years ago, Matt Painter, uh, during one during a year or two of his contract, he there was no buyout there. He could have bolted and not had to pay Purdue anything. Now they did. They eventually did change that um, in in his deal. But I I remember writing a story about that and 
both parties saying, well, you know, the coach wants that kind of flexibility. It's important to him. So, you know, they didn't have one in there for, for a year or two. So, it, again, it, it depends on each individual and their representative and what they want, what they feel is important, and, and all that. And those, kind of, those things eventually do get worked out. I mean, Mike Wabinski, the Purdue AD, has told me in the last two years that dealing with a buyout is just – it causes more problems than – then it, it creates solutions because you, you have this framework you've, you've been working with and now you want to change it and then things get contentious and uh, maybe you don't get the kind of deal that that serves both parties well. So uh, I wasn't surprised to buy out, you know, at least from Jeff's perspective, if, if he wants to leave and go somewhere else, didn't change because I think that's the way maybe uh, Purdue's going to kind of do business from, from this point forward. Yeah, and, and I think from Purdue's end of it as well, I mean, it depends on, you know, some of this also depends on how likely you think it is that the coach is going to leave. I mean, you know, uh, I mean, if somebody, you know, knocks the coach over with a with an offer, then, yeah, they're going to always listen to it. But, you know, you also, in, in the case of a guy like Matt Painter, who has really heavy roots uh, at a place like Purdue, you know, Purdue probably views it as a little bit less likely that he's going to leave Purdue for just any other college coaching job. Uh, you know, if somebody comes in and doubles his pay, you know, then, yeah, maybe he's going to go. <laughs> but, you know, that, 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 so, so you may have a little more confidence uh, and willingness to have a lower buyout with somebody who you think is more inclined to stay at your place. Um, you know, and again, all, all of those things, again, everything is a negotiation and all of these things are part of much, you know, you're looking at a much bigger sort of package, package of, of terms as opposed to, you know, singling out any one term. You know, everything is a trade-off with everything else. It's like any other bargain for agreement, whether it's a collective bargaining agreement for a union or an individual contract uh, for a coach or a professional athlete. You know, all of these things are, are you know, traded, traded for, you know. Right. And just to be clear, Matt Painter does have a buyout in his contract. So he's, he's, he's got that in his, in his deal right now, but he's, he's not going, I don't believe he's going anywhere, uh, for the foreseeable future. Well, uh, Steve, uh, appreciate your time today. Uh, appreciate your insight. Uh, hopefully the listeners uh, learned a little bit more about what you do, how you do it, and also come away a little bit more educated on, you know, Jeff Brom's deal, uh, what it means to the university, what it means to him, and um, and just have you know come away with uh, uh, a little bit more knowledge of uh, of these complicated uh, agreements that can be uh, that are out there at times. And uh, again, you've done a fabulous job uh, interpreting all that throughout the years, and have been helpful to me personally and in, 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 in working through some stuff. So uh, publicly say thank you for that, but also thank you for, for being on our, our, on our podcast today. And if, if people want to follow you on Twitter or find you on Twitter, what's, what's your handle? It's at by Berkowitz at B Y B E R K O W I T Z. And uh, it's very kind of you to allow me to shamelessly plug that. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you, I mean, I'm telling you, if you want to keep up to date on, some contract things, and if that interests you, that this is the guy to follow because he, he's plugged in across the country for football and basketball and other and other issues too. Uh, he can tell you the bonuses that 
you know, right after a team wins, what they're going to, you know, what that coach is scheduled to get from a bonus standpoint. Um, and, you know, those of us in the business, you know, we, you know, he keeps us up to date on those things and, and all the, and, and all those things that go on. So we appreciate his work for that. But anyway, uh, we thank Steve again for his time on uh, today's uh, podcast. And uh, this is Mike Carmen. And next week, uh, Nathan Baird will be back and we'll have another edition of the Boulders Extra podcast.